Good morning. Should you please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6? As we continue our study through Matthew's Gospel and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The title of my sermon today is Daily, Pre- or Daily Bread and Dependent Prayer. Daily Bread and Dependent Prayer. And I'd like to begin this morning with prayer, so please pray with me. Gracious Father, you've been kind to us today. You've been generous. Uh, You've met us where we are, and you are meeting us where we are, and so to you, God, there is none like you in our midst today. Uh, And so, God, we are asking you to come and do a work in us, Lord. Uh, This is not uh, study time. This is not academic time. This is not information time. Uh, This is transformation time. This is worshiping you under your word. And so we pray that you would come and shape us and change us now. We pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done, your name hallowed in our hearts, in us. We invite you to do this work. We want you to do this work. We need you to do this work. So we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In his classic work entitled, A Call to Prayer, Bishop J.C. Ryle makes the following observation. Without controversy, there is a vast difference among true Christians. There is an immense interval between the foremost and the hindermost in the army of God. They are all fighting the same good fight, but how much more valiantly some fight than others. They are all doing the Lord's work, but how much more so do some than others. They are all a light in the Lord, but how much more brightly some shine than others. They are all running the same race, but how much faster some get on than others. They all love the same Lord and Savior, but how much more some love him than others. I ask any true Christian whether this is not the case. Are these things not so? There are some of the Lord's people who seem never able to get on from their time of conversion. They are born again, but they remain babies all their lives. You hear from them the same old experience. You remark in them the same lack of spiritual appetite, the same lack of interest in anything beyond their own little circle, which you remarked 10 years ago. They are pilgrims indeed, but pilgrims like the Gibeonites of old. Their bread is always dry and moldy, their shoes always old, and their garments always rent and torn. I say this with sorrow and grief, but I ask any real Christian, is it not true? There are others of the Lord, others of the Lord's people who seem to be always advancing. They grow like grass after rain. They increase like Israel in Egypt. They press on like Gideon, though sometimes faint, yet always pursuing. 
They are ever adding grace to grace and faith to faith and strength to strength. Every year they appear to see more and to know more and to believe more and to feel more in their religion. They not only do well, but they are unwearied in well-doing. They attempt great things and they do great things. When they fail, they try again, and when they fall, they are soon up again. And all this time, they think themselves poor, unprofitable servants and fancy that they do nothing at all. These are those who make religion lovely and beautiful in the eyes of all. They wrest praise even from the unconverted and win golden opinions even from the selfish people of the world. It does one good to see, to be with them and to hear them. And when you meet them, you could believe that like Moses, they had just come out from the presence of God. When you part with them, you feel warmed by their company as if your soul had been near a fire. I know such people. I ask, are there not such? Now, Ryle asks, how can you account for the difference which I have just described. What is the reason, and he's talking about humanly speaking, what is the reason that some believers are so much brighter and holier than others? I believe the difference, he says, in 19 cases out of 20 arises from different habits about prayer life. I believe that those who are not imminently holy pray little. And those who are imminently holy pray much. Jesus teaches us, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. John 15, four. The difference between those fruitful and those fruitless in Christ is the difference of abiding in him. And one large part of abiding in Jesus is abiding in him in prayer. Prayer is the difference maker. Now here on Sunday mornings, we are in a study within a study within a study. (laughs) We are studying through Matthew's gospel. We've slowed down to make our way through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and now we've come to a part of the sermon where we are crawling our way through his teachings on prayer. And that is because this is the center of the center of Jesus' sermon. This is the heart of discipleship. This is, or that it is, fellowship with God in prayer. It is communion with God in prayer. This is the wellspring from which true righteousness flows. It is relating to our Father in heaven. We are working slowly through Jesus' teaching on prayer here because we need, we need to be, and we want to be a praying people. We need to pray, and we need to want to pray because prayer is the difference maker. It's a big part of how we abide in Jesus, it's where true righteousness is kindled, and it is the difference between fruitful and fruitless Christianity, so we want to be a praying people. Now today we come to the fourth petition in this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And if you struggle with prayer, here's an easy one for you. Here's where you can pick up praying more in your life. 
Let's look at this verse though in its context. Matthew chapter six, verses seven through 13. This is Jesus teaching. Please follow along as I read the word of God. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word now. It's been said that life is a combination of spectacular and simple things. In almost everyone's life, there are breathtaking things and boring things, fantastic things and familiar things, extraordinary things and ordinary things, awesome things and average things. You're wondering how long I can keep doing this. <laughs> Exotic things and everyday things. I'll stop there. That's the way life is and that's the way Jesus teaches us to pray. This prayer has two parts. The first, verses nine and 10, have three petitions. The second, verses 11 through 13, have three more petitions. Two parts, three petitions each. The first three petitions catch us up into lofty and exalted causes. And Jesus wants this to happen. He wants our life to be enlarged with enormous and eternal things. Father in heaven, cause your majestic and mighty name to be honored, to be revered, to be esteemed and treasured above all things everywhere in the world, including in my own heart. Amen? Amen, and Father, cause your sovereign rule to advance over every obstruction. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And Father, cause your all-wise, all-good, all-just, all-holy will to be done all over this world in every sphere of life just as your angels do it perfectly and joyfully in heaven. Do this the world over, Lord, but do this first in me, Father. Do this foremost in me, Father. And these are the great and the glorious purposes that we are to be praying for and devoted to and caught up in. Three huge God-centered petitions. But then, Jesus teaches us to pray three personal, us-centered petitions. Three petitions regarding God's greatness and then three petitions regarding our needs, our health. Give us this day our daily bread. Our hope, forgive us our sins and our holiness, deliver us from evil. The first three are immense and majestic and extraordinary, while the second three are intimate and mundane and ordinary. And Jesus teaches us to pray like this 
because this is how life is. So our verse today, the petition for daily bread, is at this transition. Here we move from praying for God's advancing greatness to his gracious supply. The outline for my sermon today is simple. We're just gonna work our way through this verse word by word, but we'll do it backwards. The first shall be last and the last shall be first this morning and forever, amen? So point one is bread. Bread, point one, bread. The bread Jesus refers to here is a physical need. It's a physical need. So two things, it's a physical need. So let's talk about being physical. First, Jesus is talking about physical bread. Don't be tempted to over-spiritualize this request. Some do that. They, they, they make this about spiritual nourishment. Uh, they argue that, well, from scripture that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And this is true. Jesus teaches us this in Matthew 4. But that we live not by bread alone does not mean that we live not by bread at all. This same Jesus mercifully multiplied five barley loaves to feed 5,000 people. Why? Because he saw that they were hungry, John chapter six. Commenting on this idea that some want to make it, spiritualize it and make it spiritual nourishment, John Calvin states, some are of the opinion that our daily bread means our spiritual nourishment. This is exceedingly absurd. Tell us what you think, Calvin. He goes on to say, they think it's improbable that when we come into the presence of God, Jesus would instruct us to make mention of food. However, he argues, the true proof of faith is when we acknowledge God not only as the fountain of every blessing, but also appreciate that his fatherly kindness extends to even our feeblest and most physical needs. The bread Jesus is talking about here is Pepperidge Farm. It's Sarah Lee, it's Wonder Bread, it's nature's own, it's homemade, whatever you do. He's teaching us to ask for even our feeblest and most basic physical needs. And this is the simple meaning of bread here. But bread is also profound. Bread is profound because bread costs money and money requires work and work requires industry, and industry requires law and order, and it requires peace and no war, so it requires government. Work also requires good health. It requires future workers, which requires marriage and children and homes, and bread requires good weather for good grain to grow in. So in a profound way, bread touches on everything necessary for the preservation of life. In a way, it touches on every physical need we have. And God made it this way. He made it so that we need to eat, we need to work, we need to marry, we need order, and none of this is the result of sin, none of this is the result of the fall. God made us physical people, so we should pray for our physical needs. And in this simple but profound understanding of bread, find tremendous liberty in your prayers. Don't ever feel guilty praying for physical needs, like your job or your income or your health or the health of others, or don't ever feel guilty praying for your car. Oh God, make this thingamajigger in here last just another year. Your home, your spouse, your kids. You know, you read some prayer books and sometimes it feels like these physical needs are supposed to be at the end of the list and you know, do them if you get time for them, but after you spend all, you know, that's, that's not necessarily more mature. Yeah. 
We are physical people with physical needs. Yes, we're spiritual people with spiritual needs, but we're still physical people with physical needs. And the thing about physical needs is they tend to overwhelm us. When you stub your toe, what does your body do? Oh, like the whole body react. Whole, it's ridiculous when you watch someone. It's kind of humorous, actually. You feel bad laughing at their pain, but their whole body gets into this thing. Why? Because physical problems and physical pressures tend to consume us, and God knows our frame. There is a reason Jesus teaches us to ask for our daily bread before he teaches us to ask for forgiveness of sins and to be kept from temptation. It's not because our physical needs are more important than our relational needs or our moral needs, but it's because our physical needs tend to overwhelm us. They uniquely burden us. So pray for your physical needs. Pray for bread. Take them to your Father in heaven. But note this, Jesus teaches us to pray for bread, not for cake. He teaches us to pray for Sarah Lee, not little Debbie's. Which is to say, he teaches us to pray for what we need, not what we want. So this is the second subpoint under bread. Jesus is teaching us to pray for real needs. Physical bread is a physical need. Acts teaches us that God determines allotted periods and the boundaries of our dwelling place. Acts 17, verse 26. He determines when we live and he determines where we live. And it just so happens he has determined that you and I should live in the richest period of human history and in the richest country in human civilization. This means we live in super abundance. Super abundance. Most of us have never known the need for bread. We've always had bread and our stores are filled with bread and with different kinds of bread. We are rich with options. White, whole wheat, ciabatta, challah, rye, French, Italian, brooch, pita, pumpernickel, sourdough, multigrain, naan, biscuits, dinner rolls, crescent rolls, breadsticks, bagels, and of course, gluten-free. We live in super abundance, and this is a tremendous blessing, but it is also a dangerous temptation. We are prosperous, and one of the temptations of prosperity is to confuse wants with needs. One of the, different, or one of the temptations with prosperity is to confuse wants with needs. We want cake, we need bread, and Jesus teaches us to pray for bread. In our consumeristic culture, there are endless wants dangled out in front of us, but they are cakes, not bread. We need a lot less than we think we need. And so as Americans, we could use a good shot in the arm, pun intended. There you go. I knew I needed to help you with that one a little bit. We need a good shot, I have another one coming for you in a second too, but hold out for that one. We need a good shot in the arm of Agar's wisdom in Proverbs, give me neither poverty nor riches. 
Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Why? Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Proverbs 30, verses eight and nine. The danger in having more than we need is trusting in what we have. The danger in getting what we want is believing that's what we need. The danger in getting more and more is feeling less and less our need for God. Many of us don't pray like we should because our security is actually found not in the God who supplies what we need, but in all that we have and all that we hope to get and all that we might do. And so it would serve us well to inject a dose of Agar's wisdom into our understanding of Jesus' prayer here for daily bread and we should get boosters of this shot regularly. May the Lord give us only that which we truly need lest we be full and deny God saying, who is the Lord? Point number two then, point number two, the words us and our, our, O-U-R. Second set of words Jesus, or that we wanna look at, give us this day our daily bread. So just a quick note on this one, I'll be very quick here. Note, this is not a private prayer, but is a communal prayer. This is a corporate prayer, us and our. Jesus is teaching us to pray for our daily bread. He's teaching us to pray for each other and with each other. And not just for our spiritual needs, but for our physical needs as well. So two little points on this. One, if you are struggling to pray like you'd like, one of the best helps I, helps I know of is praying with other people. Pray with other people. Spend time in your community group praying. Spend time with friends praying. Have people over from church, take time to pray together. And to this end, I look forward to announcing soon some corporate prayer meetings in the months to come so that we can gather to pray together and for each other. Point number three, day and daily. Day and daily, the third set of words we want to look at is day and daily. Give us this day, our daily bread. Day and daily teach us contentment. They teach us to be content with today's bread and not pining after tomorrow's also. I learned recently that when Chick-fil-A opens a new store, sometimes they offer a chance for you to win a free year or a year of, uh, they offer you the chance to win a year's worth of chicken sandwich meals. Come on, Chick-fil-A, open up another branch here, I'm in. Only, I found out when you read the fine print, what you actually win is a gift card preloaded with the value of 52 chicken sandwich meals that you can use once a week. Uh, I heard about it, and I thought it was giving me an all-access pass to all the chicken I want whenever I want it. Not a preloaded gift card redeemable for 52 sandwiches once a week over the course of a year. But this is what it's like when we pray. We want God to give us more than we need. We want grace for today, and we want, grace, or we want tomorrow's grace as well. But Jesus teaches us to pray this day for our daily bread. This was the same lesson that Israel had to learn in the wilderness. They wanted to gather extra manna so that they could live out of abundance. But God wanted them to learn the lesson of daily dependence, daily bread. He wanted to teach them contentment. Just a little later in Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us about worrying. 
there is a profound connection between the petition for daily bread and what Jesus has to say about anxiety. And is there any sin more common to man than anxiety? It's everywhere in our lives. We worry about what to wear. We worry about the weather. We worry about work. We worry about our wrinkles. Some of us do. I don't, but you might. I will. No, I probably won't. We worry about being late, so we let the kids eat whatever they want. Go ahead, kids, eat all the lucky charms you want. Only pray like this. Lord, bless these magically delicious marshmallows to somehow become magically nutritious. Amen. Then we worry about how much sugar we're giving them. Then we worry about how much we are eating. We worry about our kids like this. Little Johnny didn't say good morning to me this morning. Little Johnny is withdrawn. He's not as talkative as he used to be. There's probably something he's struggling with. Little Johnny's not opening up to me. He's probably gonna bottle it all up, shut it down, shut me out of his life. I'll have to send him off to military school and never talk to me again. If only he would have said good morning to me. We worry about work about our boss being so hard to please, it's impossible, and there's this coworker that's impossible to work with, and work just feels impossible. And by the way, I really need that promotion so that little Johnny, he's probably gonna hate me, but anyway, one reason that I need to get the promotion is so I can give him the braces to straighten out his teeth so at least he won't hate me for that. We excel at worrying, but Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6:34, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Matthew 6, 34. Jesus is teaching here the same thing he's teaching when he teaches us to pray in the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. His point is, today's grace is for today's trials, not tomorrow's. Tomorrow will have its own grace. If it's God's will for you to suffer, if it is God's will for you to lose your job someday, to lose your health someday, to lose a friend someday, there will be grace for you on that day, but it comes on that day, and you cannot get that grace in advance. You can't get that day's grace today, and that's why that feels impossible to you today, because you only have grace for today. So, Live with your daily bread. Don't live in tomorrow, live in today, and look to God to meet your needs today. When Jesus teaches us to pray for this day for our daily bread, he's teaching us contentment, to be at peace with what God supplies today, and to leave your cares about tomorrow with him. When Paul teaches in Philippians 4, to let your request be known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He's teaching us the same thing. Prayer is a path that leads to peace when, through prayer, you leave your cares with God. When you entrust tomorrow's problems into his capable hands, and then you busy yourself with what he's given you today. Point number four, point number four then, last one, give. Word number four, give. Give us, give us this day our daily bread. This might sound bossy, 
But it is not the kind of request the president makes when he says, give us the room, and everyone files out except the party that he wants to talk with. That is a demand clothed in the garb of a request and is not what Jesus is teaching us here. But it's easy to find ourselves praying like that. We dress up our expectations, we dress up our demands in the garb of a request. We pray, God, heal my mom, or God, provide a job, or God, give me a wife, or God, do this in my children. And it sounds like a request, it looks like a request, it smells like a request, but it's actually a demand clothed in the garment of an appeal. It's actually an expectation you've dressed up like a request. It's actually the president pretending to be polite, but actually expecting everyone to do exactly what he says to be done. And many of us pray like that. And we belittle God like he were a servant rather than the sovereign. We belittle him like we know better than he does. We belittle him like he's some genie in a bottle not God Almighty, and we belittle his love like it has to be proven over and over again by him giving us what we want instead of already having been proven when he gave up his son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sin. Over in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus teaches us on prayer again. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Making demands of God belittles him, but coming to him in humble dependence glorifies him. When we pray give from a humble heart, our dependence upon God honors God as a good father, as a generous giver, as a wise king. So if something is good to have, then it's good to ask God for it. You have a father in heaven, and he's a thousand times better than any father on earth. His fatherhood means he cares about everything in your life even down to your daily bread. So pray to him, ask of him, talk to him about what you need. Come to help, come to him for help with the problems and the pressures of life. Ask him, Father, give. In conclusion, this petition for daily bread teaches us dependent prayer. Yes, we are to pray for the advance, advancing greatness of God. May your name be hallowed. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. These prayers enlarge our hearts and catch us up into the glorious purposes of life. But we are also to petition God's throne of grace for our most basic needs, for our daily need. Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Nothing is too small to ask God for. We have a Father who cares for us. And yet, the order of this prayer matters. 
The order here is divine. First we petition for God's greatness, then we petition for our good. It's not one or the other, but it is one before the other. The second three petitions serve the first three petitions. We ask for health, hope, and holiness, but for the purpose of them helping us to glorify God's great name. The second half of this prayer is about how can I be fitted to serve the great purpose of God in the first half of this prayer. Our one great passion is to see God glorified, to see his name hallowed in the coming of his kingdom and in the advance of his perfect will, and so may he feed us for that. May he forgive us for that. May he fortify us from evil for that. Don't ever lose your grip on the first half of the prayer, the supremacy and the greatness and the glory of God in all his global purposes as you lean heavy and hard into all that the good that the Father has for you in the second half of the prayer. Because see, if you divide the two, if you take only the second half of the prayer, you get the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. God, give me everything that I need. Keep me from all evil. Lord, it's just, it becomes all about me. And so the two have to be tethered together. God, give me all that I need in service of you. So come to him with every need in all dependence. If something is good to have, then it's good to ask your father for it. He already knows what you need, so ask him. He loves it when you ask him but God help us to ask for that good thing insofar as it helps to advance the greater thing, the hallowing of your name, the coming of your kingdom, the advance of your good and perfect will. May God meet all our needs insofar as they enable to make us to make much of him. Let's pray. Well, Father, we ask for your help. We ask for your help to be a praying people a people who approach boldly your throne of grace, that we might ask even for the simplest grace and the most uh, mundane mercy. God, give us this day our daily bread. We confess, Father, too often we are presumptuous. We assume blessing. Too often we're proud and we think we know exactly what we need when what we need is a want. God, forgive us our sin. Father, we ask that everything, we ask that everything you so richly supply for us would be used by us to make much of you. Lord, order our health, our hope, and our holiness around the great purposes of glorifying your name, exalting your rule, and completing your will. Feed, forgive, and fortify us for that. We ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. We invite you to respond to God's word by standing.